We're always interested in what you have to say about our live broadcasts. Please share your comments on our Facebook page or websites. Oh, perfect. There we go. Oh, there we, we got to go. There we go. <laughs> Man, what a pleasure, bro. What a pleasure. I can't lie. My you got the setup. When I saw when I saw the setup, I thought that was just like a, a, a screensaver. Yeah, no, this so is good. Cool, we built we yeah. built we built the studio from scratch, yeah. Nah, that's smooth, bro. That's smooth. Yeah, man. So the pleasure, bro. I um, you know, my my podcast, I started it um, I say about 10 weeks ago, and I've had eight guests on there, and they've all been super intriguing, bro. We talked about financial freedom, inclusion, mm-hmm. growth. Um, it's based around mental health. So really breaking down stories and um understanding what makes people tick, you know, why why they're on the journey they're on, right? And there's so much inspiration in that perspective um, and learning. Um, so, man, I'm excited to have you on the show, bro. Um, and just kind of pick, pick your pick your brain because you yeah. know we've we've had a chance to work together and play together, play against each other. Um, yeah. And fortunate enough, I've been able to just see you from afar and watch your growth um, in this short span and um, what you stand for. You know, and uh, man, I love it. You know, and to to know about a part of your story that you you know you've mastered so much in this this time on earth. You know, from mixed martial arts to being drafted to the NBA, the big three. Now politics, right? This journey that you're on is amazing, and I want to dive into it. But I really I want to go to Little Royce. You know, I want to mm-hmm. talk about I want to talk about the boy, and yeah. um, you know what. You know, what things were significant in your childhood that you think um, steered you, you know, into having this journey that you're on right now? Um, a lot. I mean, you know, everybody's everybody's childhood contributes a lot to the way they they eventually end up. Um, for me, it was probably growing up an only child at first just me and mom, dad wasn't really there. So I I had the good fortune. And I do say it's a good fortune of being raised by the village, so to speak. Right. Um, we talk about being raised by the village. I was really raised by the village. I was fortunate to have a lot of men in the community that, that taught me a lot of good life lessons, um, you know, in the absence of my father. And I was also fortunate that while my father wasn't there, I had uncles, I had two grandfathers that were living. I had you know, other people, other other male figures in my immediate family that that served as good role models. So, um, again, but part part of being an only child and part of what I think was so beneficial was I got a little bit of something from everybody. So it it taught me a lot of different perspectives, even whereas in some ways it can be beneficial. But if it's just your parents and you're always with just your parents, you become a reflection of a smaller a, a smaller thought process. Uh, so I was fortunate in that way. And then when I was like 12, 13, I, I kind of hopped off the porch, as they say, in the neighborhood. And and I was kind of fending for myself. And then I really learned a lot from, from the community and from the village. Uh, and I also saw a lot of the ills. I also saw a lot of the the the, um, the turmoil. I saw a lot of the, the tragedy. I saw a lot of the things that, that would become the, uh, you know, become the, the, the why that I, that I fight for today on so many different levels with so many different issues. So, um, it was really the way I was brought up. But the one thing I can say credit to my mother was 
she was always encouraging me to read. She was always encouraging me to uh, think outside the box and to be uh, informed. And so I grew up with that. I grew up with books in my room, you know, in my bedroom. I had bookcases of real books, not not kitty books, real books. And I learned to read early. Uh, and and that was that was definitely instrumental as well. So that took me right up to being a high school basketball player, obviously. Uh, for for us, you know, for a lot of us that end up being professional, we come to a place in high school where we're the guy. Right. At least in our respective city or state i ended up being mr basketball but a lot of us have a similar story in that way so once you reach that level of elite basketball it, it changes your life and i tell my son now both my sons that you know part of that boy mentality part of that boy wonder that i had before becoming an elite player i had to i had to give up to become elite because it's so competitive you got to you got to have a dog sort of mentality is what we we call it that that intensity not only to get better on your own but then to to go out and prove that you're better or compete at a high level with when you're with other players or against other teams so uh, in the later part of my teenage years I kind of became an asshole uh and I think becoming an asshole uh helped me it it pushed me on the on the journey to having that existential anxiety that I ended up dealing with and then ultimately it forced me to look at myself in the mirror to be able to deal with that anxiety and and then once I was able to cross that that hurdle or or overcome that obstacle, uh, the whole the whole world opened up in in terms of what I could do to help other people. Yeah. So, right. And you talk about that anxiety. You talk about that. When did you? Was that something that you felt you you always had? Is something that came about? Um, was it a you know uh, outside factor that maybe brought something about? Because uh, with my anxiety, I know I. I remember a lot of vocal, you know, I, I had to deal with a lot of uh, vocal abuse, mm. you know what I mean? So um, in, in, in different wild times of the night, just different times. So that brought about my, you know, a lot of my anxiety. I had to, to learn how to deal with that and understand that. So was there anything that uh, brought that about? Was it just something that maybe was inherited, you know, because sometimes, you know, we deal with that as well. Yeah. Um. It's hard to say. I, I'm still I'm still not sorted yet on where I stand in terms of whether things how much whether or not or how much anxiety, depression, any of these mental health issues are are genetic, nature versus nurture, or, or is there a catalyzing event? Is there one inciting moment? Uh, for me, what I can what I can say with certainty is the first time I smoked marijuana was the first real panic attack I had, a significant panic attack where where I really thought I was going to die. There were other times when I was younger, even that I can remember having what I now can identify as I was having panic attacks. But um, right. the first significant one was 16 years old, smoked marijuana for the first time. Uh, Cause even though I was out in the neighborhood and, and I was moving around on my own, I, I had family members and elders that, that always encouraged me not to use drugs or marijuana. So that just wasn't a part of my, my life. But, um, that first time smoking marijuana, I thought I was going to die. And then I had panic attacks for like three months after that, uh, three times a day. And uh, that was probably the worst time of my life because, number one, panic attacks feel like you're dying, actually. Yeah. But but number two, I had no clue what they were. So I actually mm -hmm. thought I was dying. 
when right. I found out that they were panic attacks, it, it got better and it, it's gotten better uh, ever since. I still have some on occasion, but but they're few and far between now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know that it was uh, that I was born with it. I'd say. I'd say uh, uh, Jeanette pre, pre, predisposed to, to have anxiety, maybe. Right. But again, see, that's that's part of the narrative with mental health that I had a problem with with the NBA, right? It's like they wanted to say that the Royce Whites and the Larry Sanders who talk about having anxiety are the ones that we need to build the culture or the attitude or the 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 rule around. And and or and even more so, they're the rule and the exception. And I had a guy tell me that from uh from Ben Bill Simmons is what what was then Grantland. Uh, his name was Chuck Klosterman. He's a pop writer. He said, "Well, aren't you just the exception? Like like at that high level of of athletic competition, wouldn't wouldn't the arena select uh you know basically select you out or people like you who deal with anxiety?" And my whole my whole fight with the NBA was, of course not. All these guys are dealing with mental health issues of some variety. Right. They might not know what to call it. They might not come out and tell you. They may do a better job of hiding it. Mm-hmm. They may want to hide it forever. Right. I right. just don't want to do that. So I think people get this, this false perception like the people who have anxiety or who got diagnosed with anxiety or who tell the story about anxiety, those people have anxiety and, and I don't. It's like, nah. No, you you got some issues. We all have some issues. Um, right. What what it is 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 a different conversation. So um, I don't I don't know if people are born with it or not. I think everybody's born with some anxiety. To be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You talk about the panic attacks. I uh, I dealt with those two at a young age. You know, at a young age, and um, it was the, when my mom would leave, I would have these panic attacks, and it was separation mm-hmm. anxiety, and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, learning that, man. But I didn't even remember I was having these panic attacks until I was like 20, you know, 22, mm. you know, going into the NBA. Um, and that's when I actually started smoking marijuana was my second year in the league mm. um, to deal with a lot of stuff that was going on. But, you know, that was that was the way I coped. And, yeah. you know, it was it was banned at the time. So, you know, yeah. that was my struggle. That was my struggle with the NBA trying to crazy, yeah, crazy, how know. crazy, how fast things change, ain't it? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, um, it has to be some change makers too. You know, some people got to put their foot their foot down sometimes yeah. and take a risk and take a take the what what is seen to be an L. You know what I mean for everyone else. But you know you know how that battle goes, bro. And I want to I want to talk about that more because you are on that journey and you do take a lot of risk. You say a lot. Um, yeah. You put your you put yourself out there and like you said, you have children and you have a family. So, um, you know, people see this the forefront, but they don't know how many people are standing behind us who we also represent, right? right? Who we also put out on the line when we when we say and do certain things. So I really commend you on that. That's that's a lot of bravery it takes Thank to you, do man. that. You know, Thank I don't you. think people understand that. Yeah, no, um, I mean it's um <clears throat> yeah, to to that point, you know, it's uh I get criticized all the time. Like first it was the NBA. I it's funny when I when I ran for Senate, there's this Twitter account called Legion Hoops, I think. And, uh, you know, they always break stuff about about sports, basketball mainly, it was all over the all over the world. And uh, when I announced I'm running for Senate, they broke it. And the number one reply, the number one comment was, ain't this the guy? I mean, a lot of people liked it and just like, you know, supportive. 
But the number one reply it was, ain't this the guy who's afraid to fly? Mm-hmm. And it's just like it's it's crazy to me how fast the how fast a lie can get up and go around the world twice before you can ever put your pants on. That's a famous Winston Churchill quote. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Is just one how ten years could go by and the mainstream media do such a good job of of misinformation and propaganda that people actually still believe that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's almost, it's its unbelievable when you're the person who the misinformation is about, but then it starts to help, it started to help me understand how misinformed people are about it, all kinds of shit. Like, mm-hmm. no wonder the world is the way it is. Y'all are brainwashed. Y'all are being lied to, and not only do you accept it, you seem to act like you like it. You, you seem like, for me, I'm slow to go to, a conversation between Larry Sanders and Royce White and comment on some shit if I really don't know what I'm talking about. Like, I'm slow to do that. Not that I'm ashamed if I say something that may be wrong or I'm worried about saying something that's wrong, but but just off of, like, where did I get the information from? What are my sources? Do I trust those sources? Mm-hmm. Like, when I led the George Floyd protest, I heard all these people saying the whole system is guilty. The whole system is guilty. The whole system is guilty, not some of the system, the whole thing. But then you go back to Google to get all your information. I'm like, who you think Google is? Right, right. Who who do you think who do you think Apple is? Who do you think, you know, who do you think CNN is? Who do you think uh MSNBC is? Who do you think uh Viacom is? I mean, who what do y'all mean when y'all say the whole system? Do you know what you mean? See, I know what they think they mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but they don't know what they actually mean. And that's that's what's been revealing uh, to me throughout the whole thing, even with my story. And that's why I bring it up, because seeing how many people believe the narrative that the NBA told about me helped me understand how many people are lacking information that they need to to understand any of what's going on in the world, let alone with their own mental health. Right. Right. No, for sure. What What is what's the escape? You know what's the way out? You know what? What do you see as the what's the answer to this to this problem? Because like you said, I can see how someone can formulate an idea, um, but they're trapped in this box <laughs> of perception. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so how do you how do you escape that? What's the what's the, uh, what's well, the key? It, it, it well, the truth is the the key, and then people will say, well, how do you know what the truth is? No, it's not as hard as people think. I mean, first off. The truth is what you can see, feel, touch, hear, and smell. I mean, there's 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 God-given senses that that were that were granted to us, that were gifted to us, that we use to to navigate the world. So that's part of it. Is like tell the truth about what you see and what you hear. You know, it's you know, I mean that. So there's that. But you know, people would go, well, what's the truth about all these other things? And the first thing you have to do is get off the hamster wheel. It's like if you're not even willing to get off that wheel then you you're, you have no chance. I, what saddens me more than anything, and this may seem dark and, and somewhat depressive, but it's really not. It's really more revelatory and, and hopefully could be a source of hope and optimism for people who choose to do it. But imagine how many people died living a lie, living in complete darkness about what's really going on in the world around them. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, I, that saddens me when I think about it. Like I had a grandmother I lost and she watched CNN every day. And now she was a wise woman. And some of your wisdom comes from really living and interacting. 
But a lot of the way you form the world, especially when you watch a lot of television, is what you're told. And I just think to myself, like, man, I'm sad that that people that I know, love, care about, or anybody in the world would die under this cloud of 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 uh, lies. Uh, just you know, and so the escape is just like for me. Again, when I when I encountered the NBA, basically going to the media and saying, "This kid's a wall. This kid's too scared to fly. This kid doesn't want to play." This kid isn't that serious about basketball. Instead of what it really was, I was a kid that understood the prevalence of mental health in general, and that I wasn't the only one. Which you would later come on, come you would later you would later shortly after come and prove, followed by a bunch of people who would prove the the, the point that we needed some policy. We, I mean, our our collective bargaining agreement didn't have a single mention of mental health in the entire document. And I didn't think that was by accident. And I didn't think it was by accident that the banned substance list had drugs that are used to cope with mental illness or substances that are banned that are prescribed for mental illness. I didn't think any of that was an accident. I would later figure out that it wasn't an accident, but but that's not the point. The story they told about me is this, not only the story that people believe, but they wanted to believe. And that's what I was interested in. I'm not so interested in why people lie. I know why people lie. I'm more interested in why people want to believe the lie, mm-hmm. why people want to be believe in the in the the the, the comfort of the lie, and right. that's that that saddens me and that motivates me because I push mm-hmm. people to get out of that. That's what I've been doing at the Big Three. I know people want to believe the story they told. I know it's easy, right? But but there's something. The grass is greener on the other side once you know the truth, and and once right. you get there, you experience it. It's like it's a whole new world. So it's yeah. worth the risk. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? No, for sure. The reward is definitely worth the risk. And you know, you preach it to the choir, bro. So mm-hmm. um what when so you know it came out, they said you couldn't fly, and I think that was the immediate like that hit the headlines. And that's what everybody saw. And no one mm-hmm. ne- like people people don't follow back. You know, people don't really circle back on things. They they see it for what it's worth, they see the face value, they take it. And they don't even dig too too far deep. I knew I knew it was deeper than that personally because yeah. I knew I was dealing with I was dealing I was times I didn't want to fly <laughs> you know what I'm saying just because I didn't want to fly because of what I was going through and um uh so I knew it was deeper than that and I was looking forward to you actually getting a chance to tell that story and um you know uh when we when we talk about the NBA we we try not to dive too deep and you're a deep diver when you speak yeah. but you still tend to tread um what's your reservation about what the nba yeah oh i don't got no reservation about it at all i mean i just i i've always been straight down the straight down the pipe on them i mean i could go as deep as as you could possibly go on on the issue i mean with me personally my personal story is just a microcosm of what the nba represents the the nba represents a much greater uh, corporate and political culture around the world. And that's what I was saying even then, is this ain't about the 350 basketball players who who you're now going to make it seem like are divas and we want special treatment for our mental illness while the rest of the country suffers from mental illness with no help. That's not, that's not even what it's about. Mm-hmm. What it's about is the people who own the teams in the NBA are the same political lobbyists and corporate elites that set the that set that set the the culture of the the medical industrial complex 
all around the country for all citizens. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I look at a David Stern, I don't see David Stern. I see, I see, um, for lack of a better uh, example, uh, I see Joe Biden. I see, uh, you know, any, any company, any owner of any company, you know, I see any local mayor or any governor or any uh, doctor or head of a medical board or whatever the case may be. So I see it as one corporate community because it is, and they've showed that over the last few years, if nothing else, that when, when decisions get made and, and it's a widespread belief that everybody has to, has to follow along. Uh, and I was saying back then, well, why don't we follow along with trying to improve how we think about mental health? I mean, wh- why are we being so selective with where we want to make this collective improvement? I don't think it's by accident. And, and so, you know, with the, with the NBA, for example, it's like with me, I said, okay, if you guys want to say it's about me not wanting to fly, I'm saying don't act like 40 years ago you was only sending players on buses. So don't talk to me about team camaraderie. Like if I don't fly on the chartered plane with the rest of the team, then me and my teammates can't form the same bond that would uh, allow us to win because that's stupid. <laughs> you know, that's not that's not even how athletes work. That's how nerds think. And there are a lot of nerds in those front offices that think they can analytic their way to the to the culture and the and the um and the the sort of intangible thing that a team needs to be great and mesh together and buy in and win. And it's got nothing to do with how much time they spend on the plane playing Boo-Ray and, and eating fucking Cheez-Its. Or, or whatever they're eating. That has nothing to do with it, right? It's about, it's, and that's why only one team wins. But my, regardless, my point is, they want us to say, well, if you don't fly, now you're getting special treatment. And I say, well, what's, the, wh- why, what's wrong with me driving from Minnesota to Chicago? Six hours. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with me driving from Orlando to Miami? What's wrong with me driving from D.C. to New York or New York to Boston or Boston to Philly or or what's wrong for me driving to Houston to Dallas or Dallas to New Orleans or or Memphis to, uh, you know, to Atlanta? Uh, what's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. Well, we just never we just never had anybody do that before. Well, OK. I mean, motherfucker didn't shoot threes before until y'all switched to put a three point line <laughs> in either. Oh, yeah, you know, right, you know, right. you know what, what what is the issue? And mm-hmm. so what the, the, the when they didn't have an answer for what the issue was with that, because there was no real issue with that they invented one and that invention is what they took to the media to try and assassinate my character and say that i wanted special treatment it's not special i don't like to fly i don't want to have to take xanax which was on your banned substance list because of how dangerous it is and addictive it is i don't want to have to take a xanax or a sleeping pill every time i fly (laughs) over a course of a nine month 80 game season so every time i get the chance let me drive. Mm-hmm. Now, if I got to fly from New York to Los Angeles, fine. Then I'll bite the bullet and do that. Mm-hmm. Or if it's a back-to-back, or so, I'll do that. Right, and th- right. we actually sorted that out. At the end of the day, when, when I brought up that point to the NBA and their doctors, the, 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 they had to agree. They were like, all right, well, you, you got us. You're right. I mean, there, there's really no – that's reasonable. Because all the doctors agreed it was reasonable. Right. But they right. took that personal. Because yeah, yeah. a young athlete who was on the other side of the line of collective bargaining mm-hmm. had caught them up in some bullshit. And now it became, you're a danger to the rest of these Negroes. If mm-hmm. you, if the rest of the Negroes find out that you are smart enough 
to 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 point out the 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 holes in the way we've constructed this collective bargaining agreement who who knows what you'll spark up you might spark the union to 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 you know to hold out Mm-hmm. Because what I did was my own personal holdout as a player, and that's dangerous. Right. What I did was say, I'm not playing until y'all explain to me why it's considered a salary cap infringement for you to provide transportation, ground transportation from Minneapolis to Chicago. Why would that be considered a salary cap infringement? Mm-hmm. What kind of insurance, what kind of political insurance scam do y'all got running and think you could run on me like I'm dumb? Y'all think I'm do- y'all oh y'all think I'm those negroes. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not those negroes. I, you can go find them, the ones who don't read their own contracts and I feel bad for them and I hope that the next generation I can influence to come up and understand their own contracts. That's why the NBA would never certify me as an agent cuz they know the type of guy I am. But the point is is I'm not th- I'm not that negro. I know I know how to read. You got a banned substance list here for one reason, to punish us. You want to stand over us as the institution and say, we'll let the fans come, get drunk, throw shit, yell shit, get their get their fanatic rocks off because they're paying, but you better dare not use any substance to deal with the stress of that or whatever else comes with the professional. But we can't. Oh, how many GMs are getting cocaine, tested for cocaine or marijuana? How many, co- uh, maybe the coaches are, but I would even doubt that maybe the coaches maybe are. Once, maybe how, once a year. How many referees are getting tested for cocaine and drugs? How many? Uh, here's the better question: How many team owners? Mm. How many team owners are getting uh, getting tested for marijuana? Oh, because you're not playing, you don't have to abide by the same. Uh, so now you're saying that you can't play while you if you're high on marijuana. We know that's not true, because mm. people were smoking weed the whole time and playing well, or people right. were getting drunk. Michael Jordan was going out, getting drunk, smoking cigars till four in the morning, coming and dropping thirty. So mm-hmm. what are we really saying? What, what they're really saying to me, what they were really saying to me and you and everybody else is stay in your fucking place. Mm-hmm. You are here to play and that's it. And all of our fans accept that you're only here to play. Anything else is seen as a distraction from the, you know, from, from the escape. You know, right. everybody's there at the NBA to escape their reality in a sense. But the players, we're not. This is our job. So, you know, I just wasn't going for the shit. I'm like, who I keep the money. No, because now we got an issue that's way greater than the basketball shit. We, what you're saying is I'm stupid. And what you really mean to say is all you Negroes are kind of stupid. And that's exactly what this liberal establishment does. That's exactly what these Democrat, neoliberal, neocon, political, co- corporate, cultural elites have done to this entire country. And that's exactly who they are. And I don't care if they say they vote Republican or Democrat or any of that shit. They're all working for the same agenda. And that's what we, we should talk about next. Right. Whether it's Mark Cuban, whether it's uh, Balmer, whether it's uh, what's your boy in New York at the, for the Knicks, uh, uh, you know, uh, what uh, Nolan, whoever. They all work. They all think the same way. Mm-hmm. And, and that that's their thing is we're above you. Mm hmm. We're above. We'll tell you what to do. You don't get to question us. Yeah. And in our in our leaders, our union, like our union leaders, for example, not the player union leaders, but the people at the union. Oh, there's a couple of them that are over there that are good people. But but in, when Michelle Roberts, let's just I'm just name names. Michelle Roberts, you know, they pick who who do they think picked her? 
who did who do they think selected Michelle Roberts? She was selected. She was the black woman DC attorney who came in with that legal literacy, that legal and financial literacy from her professional career that was meant to make a bunch of black men who probably had troubled family lives. A lot of us did, uh, and make make us feel like she's the black woman that we all wish we had, who knew the things that we needed to know to avoid the trouble that we got into. Mm-hmm. And 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 now she's gonna go negotiate on behalf of us and and what? And 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 now Adam Silver comes to the to the to the stage and says, Yeah, we put a mental health professional on every staff, on every team, but huge but. But I'm not saying it won't come to bear on you come free agency. <laughs> oh, that's the best y'all could do? Of course, y'all are all in on it together. You know, and everybody gets, you know, everybody getting big money now. Shout out to Jalen Brown, just signed the biggest contract in NBA history, doing his thing as a part of the the union and whatnot. And, you know, he's he tried to push the envelope too. And uh, he he's good enough to be able to push the envelope. But the the the, the, the deceiving part is, the money is now so big that that they're basically throwing it. This is, this is the other part people don't get. This, this is a cartel. And I, I, I this is a cartel, bro. Mm-hmm. These people, what a cartel does, Mexican drug cartel, they're price setting. They're coming together. It's the Guadalajara's, the Tijuana's, the, the Sinaloa's. They're coming together across the entire drug trade to set the price so that they can collect all the money instead of having individual competition all across the board, Uh, uh, individual, random individual competition. They're making the price of entry into the industry Mm -hmm. so dangerous or so expensive that nobody can get in. That's exactly what the NBA owners have done. You got to have $2 billion to have a team. You got to be able to pay your best player 300 million. You got to be able to, you feel what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. and so, and so now, and so now, what, what, uh, effectively, now when they go to pay a player three hundred million dollars, they can throw it away basically. And that's why a lot of not saying J- Jalen deserves the, the, the money, and players deserve to be paid more because the the league is getting more. But the mm-hmm. dangerous part is people will equate them paying them the money with them caring about the player. Right. Like, like if he's going to pay you that much money, then they must right. care about you. Right, <laughs> they're printing the money. Right, they're printing the money in the basement of the of the of the Target Center. They're printing the money in the basement of the Staples Center. They're printing the money. They own yeah. the market, so they don't have to worry about the money. The money's right. going to come, and they're working yeah. in conjunction with the networks. Right. I mean, they're right. all printing money. Right, right. That's that perception. Yeah, you know, I was, I was the highest paid player with the Bucks when I retired. You know, I was at the forty four contract, but um. The way they treated me, man, you know, I, I didn't get the basic, basic protocol. You know, I got concussed. I blew out my orbital in my eye. And, uh, you know, they, they let me go to sleep on the training table. They sent me home. I didn't go immediately to mm. surgery. I went to surgery the next day when they x-ray, you know, they find out I broke my face. But, uh, you know, luckily my ex-wife was like, you know, you can't go to sleep. And she uh, she kept me up. But there were a lot of factors that, that led me to retire. You know, as far as, you know, like you said, they uh, they don't <clears throat> the treatment isn't there. It doesn't mean they, they care about you because they pay you. And that, that wasn't was my your one that your one that your GM, one at the GM or the Bucks that said uh, when, when I think there was a, a an article where somebody asked it was an ESPN article and they asked a GM uh, off the record, asked an owner 
The GM went to the owner and said, I don't know nothing about this mental health stuff. I need to learn. I'm not, I'm not educated on this. Mm-hmm. And the team owner told him, I just gave him $35 million to $40 million worth of mental health. Ain't that? I, yeah. Go pull that article up. I thought it was the Bucks owner, but I yeah. think they went anonymous. But I think the overall, you know, uh, what they were trying to infer in the article is it was related to your situation. But even the, the statement, yeah. even, even if it weren't the Bucks, the idea that somebody thinks they can give a player $40 million worth of mental health just goes to show you mm-hmm. they think that money equals sanity not even happiness, sanity. And they've created that culture for, and you know what's crazy about it? A lot of people would think that too. A lot of people say that about us. What you got to complain about? You got millions of dollars. I make $40,000 a year. I make $80,000 a year. More money, more problems. It's right. it's not a, that's not just a saying. Right. right. When, you, when you make $40 million <clears throat> and you come from a black community, your mama, your sister, you got siblings, you got, uh, you know, cousins and uncles, aunties may have took care of you. Everybody's having problems. Everybody has been systematically made poor by the very elites who give you $40 million, knowing you got to go spread it around when all their people got their own bank accounts and trust funds. Mm-hmm. And I'm not making it a black white thing. I'm really yeah. not. Because yeah. it's not, I'm, I don't mean to make it a black white thing, but that is the reality. Mm-hmm. So you go make a hundred million dollars. Yeah. Jalen made $300 million. And the first, I like where his mindset was. His first thing was, okay, how do I reinvest in the community? But how do I reinvest in a way where we can actually change the financial circumstance of, of, of our communities? Well, that's a political situation. That's a political. And they make it so y'all don't want to say anything. I mean, we don't want to say anything political. Look at LeBron. And I said today on my podcast, <clears throat> it comes out at nine tonight. I said, you got to be able to separate two things. And, I, and I, I had clips go viral criticizing LeBron, and everybody's like, damn, you hating on him. Mm-hmm. If there's anybody's game who's similar to LeBron's, is mine. Right? I mean, from a body and skill set standpoint, <clears throat> I'm not hating on LeBron personally. And, and everything he's doing at 40 years old is incredible. And I can separate that from the politics. And the politics, he's playing, he's playing, uh, you know, big me, little you politics with his position in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care how many players Clutch Sports has or helps out or nothing. They, they know what's, they know, it's like the school, for example. It's a perfect example. Nike, we're going to raise money for the I Hope Academy. And, and because LeBron is a very popular figure and because he's, you know, whatever, we're, we're going to make that seem like it's this huge improvement for the black community. We're going to take one school and enrich one school, one charter school, while the rest of the surrounding schools still suffer from the same policies that we created. And then when push comes to shove, come to find out the kids at the school ain't even been taught at, the, at, at a grade level. But it's all supposed to be this, this public kumbaya for black people to, to scratch each other's backs and pat each other on the butt and say, oh, we're doing, the, we're doing it right. We're, we're making progress. You know, Kamala Harris, getting, she's a vice president. You know, we're making this progress. It's like, guys, wake up. We're getting scammed here. And they knew I would say that then. That's why they had to get me away from y'all. Because mm-hmm. they knew if I became an all-star, like I have the skills to be, shoot the ball, push the ball, fast, strong, biggest hands in the NBA draft history, uh, you know, court vision, anticipation, can see the play before it happens, uh, intense, play with that dog, 
you know, defend the whole thing. If they let me become an all-star, these dudes was going to follow me. They was going to listen. They was going to get to know me. I never even got to know LeBron and them. I ne- they, the whole point of what the NBA did to blackball me had nothing to do with my own career. It was to keep me away from those Negroes. If we let this Negro go connect with those Negroes, we're going to have a mutiny. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a mutiny on our hands. We can't let that happen because this nigga knows too much. And, and, that, and that's true. The first, I was, when I first got my check, my first check, mm-hmm. I asked the NBA to make my check out to my corporation. They, and they said, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, so y'all pay each other's, y'all, y'all pay each other's corporations, but right. we can't get the tax benefits right. Right. of, right. of uh, so I can't, so, oh, so I can sign with Andy Miller or I could sign with Clutch Sports or I could sign with Wasserman or I could mm-hmm. sign with, with CAA, okay? And you can pay, and, and we can pay, we can do business with them one way or another, or Nike can do business with them. We can do business with Nike, but we can't do business with you as a, you can't sign yourself to your own corporation and pay your, your, your salary checks through your corporation. Why? Right. Why can't, why can't I be signed to my own company as a talent and as a basketball, uh, uh, you know, commodity and, mm-hmm. and be paid my salary through my corporation? Because they right. don't want you to be able to write anything off. They want to be able to write you off as, a, right. as an employee when they don't make even. And then not only that, the CBA, this is how crazy they, this is how stupid they think we are. This is how stupid we are. It ain't no thought. We are that stupid. Partly because the, the feeder system in the NCAA makes sure we're financially literate on the way. They just pass us through classes and, and you know, they know we're going get, to get, uh, get, get poached at the next level. <laughs> they make the players cover the spread of the losses of the owners in the CBA. We got to pay the 4%, which yeah. in any other league in the world, in the any other basketball league in the world, the team pays the agent 10%, okay? We fix the rate at 4%, and we make the payers play the 4% out of our 51%. And not only do we pay the 4% out of 51%, which really makes it what? 47, 49. Mm -hmm. Then we got to cover the spread of the owner's losses until they make good on their investment. Are y'all seeing the economic imperialism cartel? This is the stuff that they didn't want me talking about. It it had nothing to do with mental health. Mental health was just a, Mm -hmm. you know, was just a, was just a, a springboard. Right, right, right. No, but it's, you know, with the with the wave of mental health and uh, the way it's going, it, it is like a springboard because for what they thought was a reason people maybe would turn their ear is a reason why people would listen. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are dealing with mental health. Like you said, it's not something that some bougie athletes are complaining about. This is a this is something a state of the nation, a state of the world. So yes, um, you know, I think there's a lot there in this journey. And I uh, want to say we're talking to Royce White, Royce White today. I uh, want to shout out the sponsors real quick. Well, we've got a little time. Uh, Zar Wellness, thanks for coming up and sponsoring us. Uh, go to ZarWellness.com. They have THCA gummies, THCA um, flour that you can get anywhere in the nation. So THCA is a legal part of the hemp. 
um, and you can buy it at Czar Wellness. Um, they also have a lot of informational stuff on there for, you know, uh, those dealing with epilepsy and uh, different issues for health. Um, so it's, it's dope. It's real uh, informative. And uh, National Credit Resources. Shout out to them. Um, personally, deal with them. Help me to fix my credit, get some stuff right, um, apply for loans, and uh, just educate me on the business. So they're, they're really good as far as educational stuff. Too. It's National Credit Resources, 750 dot com i'll put it in the comments when we finish um but yeah let's continue man um you know let's transition a little bit because you came okay. into the big three made a splash you know got a chance to actually get on stage man which was i was i was i was like i can't wait to see this guy play um and I still love to see you play bro He's still one of my favorite players to watch Thank you, um man. yeah for sure uh how has that been man just being a part of the big three um that platform that stage and um, you know, um, how do you, how do you see that, you know, your, your, your future with the big three? And I love the big three. I mean, the big three is the only basketball I'm able to play really. Um, so I appreciate it a, a great deal. It, it means a lot in my life and I take it serious. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that we haven't had the chance that we had, that I haven't been a part of a championship team yet. Had a lot of turmoil. I mean, my first year with the enemies with Gil and them, Gil was on his last leg. He he probably could have been, should have been retired already, but he he was still wanting to play, but he was having some knee issues and whatnot. And then Lamar was still struggling with, with his deal. So we didn't really have a full team. That that first year with the enemies had a lot of turmoil and whatnot. Um, and, and then uh, when I got with the power the first season, I got COVID uh, in week three. So I missed four weeks of that season. Uh, and then the next season that we played all together, was not this past season, but the one before where we went to the the finals um, and and we lost the trilogy. And then this last year, I got injured, you know, in week four or whatever. After we were number one, we were like four and one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just in a 10-week season, it's really tough to, uh, to account for how one week is going to make the difference, right? Yeah. I know you know that better than anybody, but it's exactly. one week. And not only one week, but it's the score of the game. I mean, it comes down to a, a couple buckets, uh, a difference of, of whether you're going to be there at the end or not. So that's a crazy dynamic. But as far as the basketball in general, I love it. Um, I'm appreciative of Cuban them for allowing me a platform to play, not only play, but play in front of a national audience and speak my mind and be able to, you know, compete in the game I love. Um so yeah, I'm gonna play in the big three until until I can anymore, until people think that I'm not valuable. I'm I'm really young still. That's why I'm like I'm 32. Right. I'm not that's not real young, but but I'm I'm young. Young enough, yeah. Young enough, yeah. 32. And really I got no miles on me. So my basketball years, I really think I'm like 28, 29 or something like that. Cause I sat a couple seasons out, three, four seasons out. So, you know, it's just um I hope I can keep playing and until until you know my health doesn't permit me to, which should be a, a little bit here. So I'm ho looking forward to this season and uh, being there, being healthy, playing more basketball during the year. Last season, I last season I kind of got caught up. Well, not last season, but the season where we lost in the championship. I was caught up with the campaign. So last year I really was more ready physically to play, and I think this year I'm gonna be in even better shape. I'm working out with the high school team, pulling that Kobe. Kobe routine yeah. going back and finding a high school hunger. So yeah. Yeah, coming yeah. with a vengeance. No, that's good, man. Do you do you see um like you said doing the overseas bid or trying to, you know, 
punch punch back into the league or do anything like that. Or yeah, I just, the, the oh the legal no oh, boy you better stop. Right. The, the legal never yeah. the, the, the legal never let question. me touch foot. That I'm scared. I'm scared they're gonna blackball my sons. My yeah. son, I'm, I'm scared that they're gonna blackball everybody who who's uh related to me. Um, to be honest, because of how dangerous the shit I'm saying is, but. Um, yeah, they'll never let me back in the league. As far as overseas goes, though, the overseas things for, for me is is more like where, right? Where would I? Because obviously I got big beef with China. Um, that's just on the record. And so that whole Southeast Asian corridor is 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 uh, really run by China from a political standpoint. And, um, you know, Europe is cool but you know europe are trying little homie you still and and the problem with europe is they only get a couple of international players per team mm -hmm. and so the problem i had with europe like when i was gonna go play in torino for italy uh for for um larry brown um who i was really excited to do that actually he ended up not staying the whole season because the way they was doing business out there and now the team that no longer exists mm -hmm. but torino is a beautiful city i would have uh i would have liked to play there but anyway the thing about that is, you know, they'll try and lowball you like on some like they try to bring the reference into my NBA stuff in reference to the art negotiations. And I'm like. Stop playing. <laughs> so, you know, that's part. Of, and then now since seeing what happened during covid with uh in, in Europe and just knowing that at any moment we could have another pandemic per what they say. I mean, that's not me talking. That's that's the the, the medical experts. That a yeah. pandemic is always coming. I ain't like seeing how a lot of international players got got caught and trapped, basically, uh, in 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 their country playing when that went down. Uh, right. So I, I wouldn't want to put myself at risk for that. I've been thinking lately about doing a stint in the DR or in uh, or in Puerto Rico or something like that, just to play some five on five and have some fun. Mm -hmm. uh, but but we'll see we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, I could Puerto Rico DR. That's that's you know that's close enough. You yeah, have family right there. You, you know, time zone ain't all crazy, so yeah, that's a that, that would be a good idea. I, I, I consider that myself too. Um, yeah, 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 man. So, um, and then you, you know, you transition. I don't even know if you transition. I, I from what I've known and seen, you've always been in politics. You've always had some right. kind of political stance. Um, right. this journey that you're on. Um, talk about that a little bit. You know how what got you yeah. into politics? What 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 drove? Yeah, you? The, the the political thing was really, um, again, yeah, like you said, my fight with the NBA was political, and I don't mean it was political like issues. I mean it was political like we talking about policy. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is the policy on paper? So, you know, I, I was uh I was already in politics. You could say this whole seven eight years I was fighting the NBA, and you realize, like you said. Yeah, on day one, when I kind of got into the NBA and I'm off the scene, people are like, oh, well, he's just done. But behind the scenes, I'm fighting to get back in the league. I'm fighting to have this right. policy uh, put in place and, and whatnot. So it, it went on for like six, seven years, really, uh, until I finally was just like, oh, well, until Adam Silver and Kevin Love and DeMar DeRose, that whole thing happened. And they ended up putting a policy in place that I wrote. So I was like, well, that chapter's done. And then I wrote a letter like, hey, now that y'all put the policy in place that I was saying the whole time, y'all think y'all can let me play? And they were like, wouldn't even invite me to training camp, which is crazy. I mean, we know players that shouldn't even be playing basketball at a professional level anywhere, let alone the NBA that can go mm. to training camp. Wow. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't even let me go to training camp. And I'm like, oh, okay. I see what type of time it is. So 
Um, yeah. So, you know, the, that that was always political. But the thing that really kicked it off was George Floyd. Mm -hmm. um, because I had been gone from home and I love home to death. I love Minnesota to death. That's why I still live here now. That's why I'm running for office here now, because it's, a, you know, it's dear to my heart. Um, but when you go to play college and then you go get drafted and then you go play in Canada, right? And you go and, you know, you're moving around, you kind of lose touch with the local politics. And, and I had kind of lost touch with what was going on here locally in Minneapolis or the Twin Cities until the George Floyd thing popped off. And I was like, oh, oh, y'all think y'all about to use George Floyd to push uh more information, more misinformation, more the, the BS. Mm -hmm. So I basically took a, a group of my fellow athletes that were here in Minnesota and I organized these, uh, these protests, these demonstrations. And I took us to places like the federal reserve and talked about banking and fractional reserve banking and how, how that whole Ponzi scheme works as a, as an unconstitutional tax on the American people. And most importantly, the working class. Um, and, uh, you know, people were pissed off about that in the community of uh, the black folks. They was like, why are you talking about this? We trying to talk about cops, racism, the LGBTQ, the environment, climate change. I want to talk about the money. Y'all keep skipping the money. Right. Okay. We could talk about those issues all you want to, but until we address the money issue, we got problems. And right. so the police, they get a paycheck from somebody. The, the city employees, they get paychecks. When they go to build an arena, somebody pays for that. Usually it's the taxpayer, okay? Mm -hmm. This type of U.S. Bank Stadium, Minnesota Vikings, who paid for it? The taxpayer. This is where we pulling up to. What, do, what does the U – let U.S. Bank come out and speak, right? Okay, so this is what I was doing, and what I, what I realized is that the grassroots activism uh, in Minneapolis was reflective of the grassroots activism all across the country, which was uh, very focused on cultural wedge issues like the LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was insulted that they would use George Floyd's death and his name uh, and, and the tragedy of his loss and anybody else connected to it, whether it be his daughter or stack or or his uh his whoever wh whoever was connected to George Floyd that they would use it to try and push black trans lives matter mm. that insulted me and i said uh it, it that ain't even a thought to me i mean you know a black man just was was killed and y'all are talking about sexual politics i'm not i'm not going i'm not even i don't even understand how we got who 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 are y'all matter of fact now that i think about it i'm from here i was born and raised here who are y'all like the people who stepped up as activists to speak on behalf of the community when the cameras are on mm -hmm. who are where did y'all come from because i don't know you mm -hmm. i don't know you to have been in no wakes i don't know you to have been in no funerals no barbecues no no school field, field trips from the city schools. So you talking on behalf of the community, but I don't know you to have been from the community. Me, I right. came, I could point out where my first kiss was, where my first fight was. I'm from these streets, okay? And what you find out is you got a lot of people who go to college somewhere else, they get imported, they get recruited, imported, and now all of a sudden they speaking on behalf of your community. And right. they might even be black. 
Right. But that don't uh, mean they nine from, times out of ten they black. Yeah. Nine times out of ten they black, but yeah. that don't mean they from your community. So when they try to turn they they little uh what do you use uh, hostility towards me, I was like, oh it's oh it's go time. I'm running for office then. Yeah. Sure. Let, now now let's take it all the way. Mm-hmm. So that's so what, how I what, ran for Congress. Congress. Ran for Congress in 22, and now I'm mm-hmm. running for Senate, United States Senate, here in 24 against uh, Amy Klobuchar, mm-hmm. and um, you know I'm just gonna keep I'm gonna keep running until yeah. until people get it. How's that? How how can we support you, bro? How how can we support what you got going on? Like, um, how can people find this? Yeah, I mean, you could go to my website. My campaign website is RoyceWhite.us. Uh, that's my my Senate campaign, and you can see the platform, some of the issues I'm running on. Um, and you could donate there, you know, whatever helps. Um, you could also mail checks and stuff like that. But, you know, this, this, the support is really in the understanding. Mm-hmm. And the, the biggest thing people could do to support me is have the courage to open their mind to, to what it is that I'm trying to say to them and understand that it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to mm-hmm. challenge the people that you know, the relationships you have, family, the dinner table, the barbecue, like this Donald Trump thing, for example. People are like how you get all the way from how you get all the way from protesting during George Floyd to supporting Donald Trump, and I said, um, "You, you all, you, you people aren't getting what's going on here in, in in America today, and you you don't understand the history of the politics. So it's hard for you to understand the politics today. You understand what they're telling you on MSNBC, but it's very simple. We want a limited government." If you're saying that the whole system is racist or guilty or oppressive or corrupt or whatever you want to say, including police departments, expanding the federal government will only make that worse. And that's the cornerstone of the Democrat platform, the Democrat Mm -hmm. Party's platform. They want more social programs. If you have more social programs, whether it's for black people, poor moms, immigrants, whoever it is, if you have more social programs, there's more money for the government. The bigger the government gets, the bigger government agencies get. The more they treat you, the citizen at home from your community, like like nothing. Mm-hmm. And so that I mean that that's a very easy concept. We don't want the system you say is guilty to get bigger. We want it to get smaller. And and secondly is. Again, an issue like uh, the, the the border, for example. Look, my grandmother was a first-generation immigrant from Aguas Calientes, Mexico. She came across the border. My other grandmother was a first-generation immigrant from Norway. She came mm-hmm. across the water on a boat. Immigration is one thing. Legal immigration is one thing. Illegal immigration is targeted at the black community. When they try and flood our our country with low cost labor what they're saying two things one they're saying you working class and poor americans black white or anything else y'all won't do these jobs because we don't pay you enough to do these jobs mm-hmm. we want to keep our margins high we want right. to keep our profits high so sure. we're not going to increase the minimum wage that we pay you for the jobs that used to be this much and now they need to come up because the cost of living has risen. So we're gonna import illegal immigrants and have them do it at a lower cost. All that does is take the jobs away from us. Right. Right, and and, and it's like, and now you're seeing in Chicago, a place like Chicago of all places, shout out to your your, uh, your boy, uh, Justin Dittman, he from Illinois. Shout out to 
Jeremy Pargo and the Pargo, but mm -hmm. they from Chicago. Uh, yes. A lot of people from Chicago and Ricky Davis, a bunch of people yeah. from Chicago in, 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 in our league. But um, the people in Chicago, they're standing up now saying, y'all are sending illegal immigrants to Chicago and giving them $2,000 a month. Well, that's the fall of Detroit, right? That's that's why Detroit was Black Hollywood. You know, they had all those guys, everyone was working at those factories. And all of a sudden, you know, you know. So, and they, so my point was, my yeah, point is right. the other, the, my point is the other issue with the border is not only our border at the, at the southern border with people crossing the border, but this sense of economic borders and economic nationalism where people say nationalism, they go, oh, you're a Nazi or you're fascist. No, we don't want to sell out our working class and our poor working citizens. Mm -hmm. We don't mm -hmm. want to trade their labor away. We want people to be able to work a job and we want them to be able to work a job at a recent at a decent salary so they can have a living and, and live a good life, but still have this sense of dignity and pride and work, not living on some universal basic income that again is going to expand the government. If the government got to pay you your monthly check, you a slave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there ain't no question about it. I don't even know where black people get off thinking they want universal basic income. You're mm -hmm. going to be a slave. It, it, the government's going to tell you either you do this, this, or this, or we ain't sending that check this month. Mm -hmm. Same as being on a slave plantation and telling you, you better pick cotton or else you ain't going to get a meal. And we might even stick the dogs on you if you act, if you really get to acting up. Or maybe we just having a bad day. Nothing ever changes under the sun. It just it just morphs. So right. you know, ideas like that is what we like. What I'm trying to get across. And look, Donald Trump ain't the perfect candidate. He says a lot of stuff I don't agree with, and a lot of people, you know, probably don't agree with and whatnot. But the ideas that are there that I just articulated, like for example, about the border and about the working class and about you know, these are the ideas that we need to hone in on. And I'm hoping that black people. Are gonna finally step up like the like the OG Ice Cube tried to have us do the last election and say, man, we got to start to ask ourselves, what are we getting out of this thing? Mm -hmm. We can't just keep voting Democrat and expecting things to change, and then when they don't change, we go, well, why didn't it change? Right, right. Well, they just lied to you. That's all. They told you they was gonna do it, and they didn't do it. I mean, how many times your mm -hmm. girl got to come home late with a hickey on her neck for you to know she was cheating on you? Right, right, right. <laughs> you Facts. feel me? Mm -hmm. You know, so that's that's where I'm at with the politics. I'm just trying to spread the good word, man. Nah, nah, I love it. I love it, bro. It's informative, right? There's so much, uh, so much that just we don't know, you know, as a as a whole. So um, it takes leaders, it takes people to to kind of go in there, get their feet dirty, get their face dirty, and come out and tell some stories, right? Yeah. Um, so we, we we definitely appreciate that. Um, I want to end it on a on a good note. So I want to talk a little bit about fatherhood, man. I want to talk about your dad, you yeah. know, um, uh, and I'm a father as well. I got four kids, man. They back there. I told them to be quiet. They, they can't even be quiet. They still back there making noise. But <laughs> let's talk about it, man. You know, tell me. You know, I, I want to dig into some of the challenges first. You know, what do you find is some, you know, some of the biggest challenges about being a father? Yeah, the biggest the biggest challenge I think for me is expecting my son to be, you know, your son, your your kids end up being the spitting image of you because genetics are are a, a monster, boy. You know, you could you could look at Lil Royce, and, you know, you've seen him, and there's a clip of me, you know, bringing him out with the Jesus King shirt and, and whatnot, and I mean, he just like my twin, right? Yeah. And and somewhat you expect them to act like you or think like you, and that's just not how how human beings work. That's not how life works. 
And in that way, you know, it goes back to saying nature versus nurture. Some of it is genetics, but some of it is how you're raised. And even like right now with me training him with basketball, there's a certain grit. There's a certain intensity that I just want to be able to instill in him. But he, and, and you can you can train people, but some of it they got to find on their own, you know, and, and I think that's that's one of the biggest challenges is knowing when when to back off and just kind of let your kids be your kids and then when to be firm and make sure that, you know, that they're not that they're not falling off course too much um, from from what you what you would perceive or deem to be, you know, um, a good path for them to be successful. So that's a balancing act, you know what I mean? And parents, we always, at least for me, I got four kids. It's like you you want to you want to make every little th- you know you want to micromanage them, but sometimes you got to let them go out there and fall on their head a little bit too. It's like yeah. you know a lot of what 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 was best about how I turned out was falling on my head a little bit, you know, yeah. being out there and experiencing it and learning from that. So you can't shelter them either. And then at the same time, you understand as a parent that when you let a kid fall on their head, it could be fatal, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, and that's that's the that's the risk you run, that's the tragedy, uh, uh, and and also the gift of life. I mean, if it was all perfect, we'd be robots. So, you know, the the rain makes the sunshine, you know, mean something. But um, you know, as a as a father, you love your kids and you you want them to be safe, you want to protect them, but you also want them to be able to grow up and learn. Uh, to do things on your own, so on their own, so that balance is 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 always the challenge, right? That is a challenge. That definitely is, bro. Because it's like you know, you think about yourself. You know, you think you take ourselves back to us as kids, and like you said, how many times did we have to bump our heads before we got it right? You know, and you want to yeah. sometimes you want to you want to get it in their head before that happens, but so that's the best teacher. Sometimes they gotta they gotta hit their head. So, um, yeah. you know what? So what what do these years of being a parent? Um, What's your favorite part? What's your favorite part about being a dad? Man, the fa- my favorite part is um the love. You know what I mean? It's the love. It's you know, I, for me, my father wasn't in the home, so just to see the love and and the um you know how much stock my children place on my opinion, you know, and 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 uh of of them and and you know, just my presence, you know what I mean? Is, uh, it's something that I didn't really get to see. So I really value it. I, I, uh, I'm grateful for it. Uh, and, and I'm grateful for the love, you know, like my daughter, she's going out for a school play. So she was downstairs working on her lines and whatnot. And she comes upstairs and, and, and I could hear her and I'm like, you know, you, you're doing a good job, you know, and she just gets that daughter look on her face. Like, man, my dad's here and he hears what I'm I'm trying to do. And, and, you know, it's just that love. So, uh, the love is is the most beautiful part, in in my opinion. And then seeing them grow up, you know, they grow, they, they grow, they grow quick. You know, it, it happens fast. And you grow, you get old. I got the grays coming in the beard now. Uh, they've been there for a couple of years, but it just feels feels like a few more every every couple of weeks. But um, they just grow up, grow like weeds. And I'm thinking about having some more because I I just love uh, seeing them grow. I love seeing them grow. Now thinking back on looking at pictures of when they were just babies. Now. 11 12 going on 13 you know what i mean it's like damn that was me that was me growing up one uh at one point and uh, it's a beautiful thing they're healthy so you know god is great so well, i look forward to seeing them this summer too man i know they're gonna be a foot bigger 
That's oh, crazy man. how fast these kids grow. Every time I've been, this big three has been a great experience just to, um, you know, have that camaraderie, but also see see the kids grow up. It's been dope. Um, dope. Yeah, man. Um, drop some gems. You know, I want to leave, you know, leave the people with some some gems yeah, that. Um, yeah. I mean, I got to go. I got to go political because, you know, this is the political season. But I just want to say. I said on my podcast, first off, if you want to go listen to podcasts, it comes on tonight at nine. But I just want to say to people out there, there's this idea floating around that um, Americans, that we as black people shouldn't consider ourselves America because American because America's never been nice to us. And some of that is true. We've had a hard time in America. But there's something about America that's put us in a position that that we rarely find ourselves in anywhere else in the world. And when we compare it to anywhere else in the world, you don't see black people really being invited into any country with open arms and, and being pushed to the top of anything or having the ability to get to the top of anything. Like, for example, ain't none of us going to be a part of the royal family. I know they made an, uh, an exception for Meghan Merkel and, and uh, Harry. I think it's Prince Harry. He had to damn near smuggle her into the to the uh, to the castle, right? And he got he got excommunicated for that. And, and him and her left the royal family. It's the first time, not the first time, but it, you know, he left mm-hmm. the royal family because he had a girl who had a you know little melanin in her, and that scene is uncouth. It's like, give me a break. She's barely black herself. But my point is, I'm barely black myself. Some people say, but I'm not even talking about race. My point is that black people in this country are being convinced by people in this country that our citizenship doesn't have value. Mm. And that just blows my mind. That just blows my mind completely. It's like, do you understand what's articulated in those founding documents about freedom? And yeah, at the time when they were written, we were still slaves. But it was that very document that was used to make the argument that we should be free and eventually freed us. It's the same document that was used to end segregation. First, it was Frederick Douglass, who was a Republican. Then it was Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, who were both conservative. And now all of a sudden, we're supposed to throw the Constitution out to become citizens of the the whole world. And I'm supposed to give over to some some, uh, international agency in Europe or or give over to China, China, who's as racist as anybody. I mean, they're ethno-national to boot. I mean, if you're not Han Chinese, even if you're Chinese, if you're not Hun Chinese, you're considered a second-class citizen. They definitely ain't letting black people pop up over in China and go to the top of the society. So, you know, America offers us something unique. And if we're not careful and if we don't, if we don't step up and take our rightful place as citizens in this country and defend that and, and make it unique to us and give back to this country, I don't mean give back like we haven't given, but I mean give back and contribute in elevating it politically, which we have the chance to do right now, um, we may lose that freedom altogether. We may have lost the freedom just as soon as we got it. We ain't been that long since we've been free here uh, or since we've had certain rights and they can be taken away. And trust me when I say this, and I'll leave with this, the most important issue right now is the Second Amendment. The most important issue is the police state. And I tell you this, If you let these white liberal women tell you that the KKK is afoot, that the police are the KKK, and you should call the cops when the KKK show up, you 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 deserve you deserve whatever uh, you know whatever it is that comes to you because you don't understand what it is to be American. 
And a lot of white Republicans and conservatives don't even really understand what it means to be American. So it's not really a racial thing, but it's more about the ideas. Like our founding fathers were smart enough to know that you should be your first line of defense. Mm -hmm. That when all else fails, you better not trust that the government or some law enforcement agency is going to get there to save you or your family. Mm -hmm. And I think I understand that better than, than anything now as a father is like, if somebody decides to kick that door down at night, I'm there. Yeah. The police ain't right. there. The government ain't there. Joe right. Biden ain't there. Donald Trump. And nobody's there. It's just me and my family. Mm -hmm. and, and I was given the Second Amendment right to be my first line of defense. Now, what comes with that is the tragedy. Some people are going to take those guns and do stupid things. Mm -hmm. uh, but but overall, the net the net value uh, of of being able to defend yourself outweighs the occasional yet still tragic and sad when somebody goes off and shoots up a school. That's just the reality. Right. That's just the reality, man. I'm not, I'm, you know, if you're going to tell me the KKK is afoot, then why am I giving my gun up? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't right. understand. The, I don't understand the logic. The math ain't math in white people, white woman, you know? So, and that's, that's something that we got to, I want all black people to go get trained in how to carry firearms responsibly. I want all black people to understand their, their second amendment rights. I want them to vote on behalf mm -hmm. of politicians who will who will protect their second amendment rights so that if push comes to shove they can protect themselves and their family with some uh with some good some you know with with some good utility right i love it bro i love it i love it point two take advantage of the moment i think that's that's critical what you said you know us understanding where we are in time right and how uh we may complain about america we may say you know but if we compare ourselves to other you know, countries, this is this is where we have the opportunity to take advantage and, and actually solidify a position, right? Rise to the top, like you said, which is a great point. It's a struggle. You know, our rise is harder than, than, the, than the next man's rise, but it is a rise that's possible. Um, yeah. And I think that's a very key, very, very key point. That's a shift in mindset that needs to be adopted. Well, and the other thing is, the other thing is just from a from a from a practical standpoint, just ask yourself where you're going. If you black out there, where are you where are you going? You think you think the you think the people in Angola or the or or uh, Liberia or Nigeria consider you family? Consider you? I mean, you know, come on, man. Right. I mean, you gotta you gotta right. be realistic. Where are you going to the Middle East? You going to live in the in the, you know out there with the with the with the uh, with the Kurds and the Yemenis or the Saudis? You know, or if maybe if you got some money. Maybe you got some money, they'll create an exception for you, but you ain't just showing up to any of these countries and, and being granted rights. It ain't happening. So any Democrat who tells you you should trade your American citizenship for a global citizenship without without showing you some paperwork or showing you some uh, some some type of proof that you're going to have the same type of rights on the world stage that you have on this stage, you know, you got to question that. Where are we headed? We where are we going? If if we ain't about to make the best out of what we have here, if, if somebody has an idea, please tell me. If you think we all going back to Africa, you know, lead, lead the way. You go first. <laughs> all right, go, go get it warm for me, right? You feel nah, me? Go go there and tell me what is go to go there and to, to you know to send word back. Tell us what it what it what it, what's what is popping for. This is what they nah, say in the neighborhood, nah, you know? For real, for real. Uh -huh. Nah, man. Well, man, hey, I don't want to hold you up too much. It's been great, bro. It's been really talked about some good stuff, bro. We, we dove deep. We gave perspective. Um, talked about, you know, political journey. Broke down your childhood a little bit, man. 
um, we're excited. You know, I'm, I'm super excited just to see all this develop. You know, I feel like this is still, you still baby Royce right now. So, you know, uh, the future's bright, bro. And uh, I'm happy to be on it with you, this journey. And uh, thank you, bro. We're going to tune in to 99 and check out what you got going on. After this show, we're going over to Twitter. We're going over to X, they say. And uh, we got an after party. And uh, we'll have a, a lot of, uh, you know, just some great minds on there, some other professionals, some gurus, and uh, a good community. We're going to talk about some Web3 stuff on there, too. Um, that's that community. So, man, if you get a chance, come on there. But I appreciate your time. Think of my son. He running out. He can't even wait the hour. I told him that. Man, thanks, bro. I love you, man. Appreciate the opportunity. You you know it's all love. It's always going to be love. You're one of those. You're one of them ones, man. We we appreciate what you what you stand for, the, the stands you took, you know, how, how how much you shared your journey and your struggle and, and you know, just everything that you've been through. You know, we we won in the same damn near. So I appreciate you. I can't wait to see you this summer. You got to come out to Minnesota and hang with me. But wait till the snow melts, though. No, nah, not nah, for sure. You know, I don't like that snow. I, I ain't doing that snow. <laughs> I always tell people, man, Malcolm Martin, man, that's what you get with us. Yeah, facts, I appreciate man. you, dog. Thanks. I appreciate you for sure, man. Let's love, bro. Keep this thing going. Love, man. Peace. Peace. Trouble sleeping? Feeling a lot of pain? So stressed out, you're anxious all the time? Feeling down and depressed? Just need a little bit more energy and focus in the morning? That's where we come in. We are here to help at Czar Wellness. Czar Wellness is where people come first to get the highest quality, highest standards, and unbelievable prices. At ZarWellness.com, you can get gummies, topicals, oils, and smokables. It's all legal. We ship nationwide. Welcome to Zar, where people come first. Find us at ZarWellness.com. Are financial challenges holding you back? Are you getting denied for personal or business funding? Do you dream of a brighter financial future? Life's journey shouldn't be hindered by credit woes. Join National Credit Resources with our easy three-step process to financial freedom. Sign up at nationalcreditresource750.com. Our personalized approach aligns directly with our core value, integrity. We offer a money-back guarantee contract and financial literacy through the process. Go to nationalcreditresource750.com. Join the countless individuals who've reclaimed their financial independence through National Credit Resources. Take that crucial step towards a brighter tomorrow. National Credit Resources is your trusted partner, and we are one nation under credit. Start your credit journey at nationalcreditresource750.com. We're always interested in what you have to say about our live broadcasts. Please share your comments on our Facebook page or websites.